Is there something immortal about you? Carlo Broussard, next. Hello and welcome to Focus, the Catholic Answers podcast for living, understanding, and defending your Catholic faith. I'm Cy Kellett, your host, and I really enjoy talking with Carlo Broussard and maybe got a little technical uh, this time, and but it, that's my fault. I kind of led uh, Carlo into that because I wanted to talk about something that you just can't talk about without using philosophy, uh, something that Carlo does really well and is really effective at, but it means that you got to use some abstract terms and that kind of thing. And so I, I hope that you'll find it enlightening. I certainly did. I, f I feel like I just learned so much from Carlo when I ask him basic questions like, what is the soul? You know, like that's what we did last time in this little two-part series. This time we asked him about the immortality of the human soul. Can we prove that it's immortal? Why is it immortal? How do we show that it's immortal? And so we got into some Thomas Aquinas and others, and I really hope you'll enjoy the conversation, because the soul is one of those neglected realities that is just so important, uh, that the, the truth of our existence as ensouled creatures uh, is one that's often denied, often just ignored in the modern world. But once we get it, man, life is an adventure, and we see so much more of what it's about. Here's Carlo. Carlo Broussard, apologist, thank you for being here with us. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, this is, uh, again, uh, from, um, on my own initiative, I wanted you to explain the soul and the immortality of the soul, because I find it very, very hard to think about these things. It is. And I thought it was very helpful what we did last time. So... You, you told us what a soul is last time. You want right. to just sum it up real quick, what a yeah, soul is? Yeah, basically what we talked about was a soul is that in virtue of which, that mm -hmm. by which a living thing is a living thing, right? It's right. the life principle of something. It's that principle in a thing that makes it a living thing rather than a non-living thing. Because we got to account for the difference between the two, right. the rock and the plant, as we talked about last time. But also, the soul is not only that principle in virtue of which a thing is a living thing, it's also that in virtue of which a living thing is the kind of living thing it is. Right. Whether it's a plant soul or an animal soul or a human being soul, right? So, and that's basically what we're talking about there is that the soul is the form of the body. Right. That in virtue of which the living thing is the kind of living thing it is. It makes it to be what it is that organizational pattern that's making the matter, the stuff, to be that kind of thing, a plant, an ant, a lion, yeah. or a human being. Right. Not, so it's not only the principle that makes it living, but it's also that principle in virtue of which it is the kind of th living thing that it is. Okay. All that having uh, been said, I have to s admit to a certain bias, I'm more interested in human souls right. than the other kind. <laughs> and I think that I have some self-interest uh, there. But uh, So basically two questions this time. Uh, about can a soul, any soul, right. uh, whether it's plant, animal, human, whatever, survive death? Bodily okay. death. Right. Yeah. Um, and then if if one of these types of souls, plant, animal, human, can survive death, how, is it immortal? Will it live forever? Or right. Will it yeah. And break I'm glad, down? I'm or? glad you distinguish those two questions because they are distinct questions. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to show that a soul can survive bodily death. But just because a soul can survive bodily death, that doesn't tell us whether it will eventually go out of existence, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really tell us that it is immortal or will forever exist. 
after the separation from the body or the matter. So we, more philosophical investigation is required for that. And this is yeah. an interesting distinction that I'm grateful to a philosopher by the name of Michael Algros in his book, The Immortal You. Yeah. A few times in our conversation, we'll be appealing to some of the things he says in his book. He draws this distinction between these two questions, and it's a distinction that's important. Uh, the second question, once we answer that first question, specifically relative to human souls, right. answering the second question is not that difficult. It doesn't require that much effort, but it is important to draw the distinction between those two questions, because the answer to the first does not necessarily entail the answer to the second. Which is fascinating, because yeah. you think, oh, if the soul survives death, that means the soul just keeps going and going and going, but that's not necessarily, not necessarily. true. you got to prove a that's second right. thing. Are, there are ways in which things can go out of existence, and so we have to see if yeah. a soul that survives bodily death, whether we're talking about a soul of a plant, an animal, or a human being, okay. would fit the bill, so to speak, right? Meet one of those ways in which something could go out of existence. It's interesting to me, too, that you answer these two questions that we have, whether the soul survives, can survive, and whether it's immortal, using philosophy. You don't right. have to just appeal... As a matter of fact, you don't appeal to Scripture That is true. Could we? Could we look to divine revelation in order to derive knowledge about the soul, in particular the human soul. I don't know if we could derive anything about non-rational animals or right. lions or dogs or anything from the Bible. I'd have to look into that. Uh, but with regard to human souls, we could say, yeah, human souls are immortal from divine revelation. Uh, but yeah, so what we're doing here is purely by the natural light of human reason. That's basically just saying, hey, we're using our own canoggin here without yeah. the aid of God's supernatural revelation to try to figure this stuff out. Okay, so we'll get to the first question then about can a soul survive bodily death? Right. Yeah, and so the key question here and I'm looking to St. Thomas Aquinas, of course, following him and using him as a guide and answering these questions, right? And a key question in order to answer that question, can a soul survive bodily death, for St. Thomas Aquinas following Aristotle, would be whether a soul has activities that are not entirely bound up with and dependent uh, on matter. On the matter, To state right. it positively, a soul would have to have, the key question is whether a soul has activities that of themselves can be exercised or performed independent of the body right. in a way that's transcending the boundaries of matter. Okay? Right. And the reason why this is a key question, Sai, is based upon a, a, a fundamental philosophical principle, a base principle, that action follows being action the activity of something is going to follow the mode of its being of its being or ah, of its existence yeah. you okay, could also right. flip it around and say something's mode of existence or mode of being its nature is going to determine its activities the, right, mode the, of the its fish activities. swims because it's a fish not uh the fish is a fish because it swims right right, right. so no. so the plant the plant is going to grow take in nutrition because it has the mode of existing as a plant, not a rock. Got it. The lion is going to sense things because it has the mode of existing as a lion. Okay. Not a plant, not a rock. A human being is going to have rational knowledge and love because it has the mode of existing as a human being. Right. Not a non-rational right. animal like a lion or not a plant, not a rock. So action follows being. The mode of the activity follows from 
the mode of a thing's existence, the mode of its being. Right. So if we apply that to a soul, if a soul has no activities that transcend the boundaries of matter, to state it differently, differently, if a soul only has activities that are entirely bound up with and dependent on matter, right. that's activity. Right. Well, then it follows that... That tells us something about the being. That tells us something about its being, about right. its way of living, its, its way of existing. Right. Its way of existing, then, is only going to be bound up with and dependent on matter. Okay. Because action follows being. Okay. To state it differently, yet again, if a soul does not have any activities that can go beyond the boundaries of matter... Well, then the soul's way of existing is not going to be beyond, beyond the matter. matter. Right. And so if a soul has a way of existing, a way of being that's entirely bound up with and dependent on matter, well, then when the matter is no longer there, it's not going to be able to live its existence anymore. It's okay. not going to be able to have that mode of existence. It's going to go out of existence. So that seems obvious then that the plant soul is going to cease when the plant ex go, experiences physical death because there's just nothing about a plant that shows any signs of exceeding the the just taking in nutrition and growing right and the power yeah. that's actualized right the activities right. of the plant in virtue of its powers rooted in the form of the plant the plant soul okay. what philosophers call the vegetative soul right right those powers those activities are entirely bound up with and dependent on the matter nutrition and growth that's just entirely bound up with matter that's pretty obvious and so because the activities are entirely bound up with and dependent upon the matter not transcending the boundaries of matter right we're able to infer from that that its mode of being, its mode of existence, its life, so to speak, yeah. is entirely bound up with and dependent on the matter, such that when the matter ain't there, right. its life ain't there. And so it, is, it ceases to exist. So that would be for a plant. And so the question becomes, well, what about non-rational animals? Like the well, It's not as obvious me, with a lion. Correct. Right. What about uh, for a lion? Yeah. For Aquinas, Aquinas intellectually, and many philosophers who follow him judge intellectually that, say, a lion and these sorts of animals are non-rational animals, right? Yeah. And so for these types of beings, uh, they do not have any activities that go above sensation. Now, there are some philosophers who will debate that yeah, and sure. try to push back on that and say, no, there's not an essential difference between human beings and a lion or a dog. There's only a difference of degree in its activities and its powers, okay? I have to say, um, I find that are unlikely. I find I that, mean, I, I'm not persuaded by those arguments. I'm no. persuaded by Aquinas, but we can actually put that off okay. to the side yeah, as yeah, to okay. whether the lion has a soul that's going to have activities that go beyond matter. And we can actually just be a little bit more general and say, well, okay, let's look at the powers of sensation, right? And sensory activities. Yeah. These sorts of powers are powers that are entirely bound up with and dependent on matter. So let's just take, for example, our power to see things. When we see things, right? 
we're exercising that power under the conditions of matter. That power in its activity of sight, the activity of sight, is restricted to the conditions of matter. So when I see something, I see this man, right? Particularity. Uh, I see what you're saying. I see this man on the, let's see here, right side of that desk. Right. Spatial relationship. I see this quantity (laughs) being more than that quantity of the plant. Right. right? So they're relative to one another. That's right. So notice that when I'm exercising the power of sight, I'm taking in information. Yes. But the information is bound up with, restricted absolutely unto and under the conditions of matter. Particularity, this man, as opposed to that man over there. Or all men. Or all men, that's yeah. correct. Um, the man here, not there, spatial relationship. The quantity of you relative yeah. to the quantity of the plant. Right. These are all conditions of matter. Um, and so notice how these this information is coming in under the conditions of matter. And when I'm exercising that power of sight, it's bound up with and restricted to the conditions of matter. So if a soul, mm-hmm. right, if a soul only has these sorts of powers, like if the highest powers or activities of a soul is sensation, and these powers of sensation are entirely bound up with and under the conditions of matter, Right. well, then we would be able to infer that the life of such a soul, yes. the existence of such a soul, would be entirely bound up with and dependent on matter, such that when the body goes, that soul well, that, would no longer exist. Because it's so, not sensing anything. That's right. Think of it like yeah. this. If a soul only informs a body to be a living thing right well then and that's the only power it has within when the body goes it's going to cease to exist because just living right nutrition and growth is bound up and entirely dependent upon the matter if a soul only has the powers of informing the matter making it a living thing and a sentient thing like sensation sensory powers well since those activities are entirely bound up with and dependent upon the matter once the matter goes eh, no more existence. Okay, so, so the question that I think is, do humans have something other than that? Then? That is the right. trick. Co- that's the key question, yeah. right? Yeah. Now we could inquire as, okay, so whether the lion or the Fido, the dog, right. has this kind of soul that only has sensory powers, which are entirely bound up with matter, and when the matter ceases to exist, the soul goes out of existence. That's right. a different question, right? Right. But we don't have to settle that. We don't have to settle that. I think the arguments that say that it does not, it, it only has such a soul as that I, and not something beyond, I think are more persuasive. But let's talk about whether the human soul has a soul that has powers that would go beyond sensory powers, right? And this, uh, it, it seems an obvious, I mean, we're talking into microphones right now. Like the, the, the fact that the amount of abstracting and understanding the rules of the universe and uh, you know and that and, and of commerce and all that yeah. that has to go to that that you and I are speaking into microphones now and no lion ever has 
you know, sat down with <laughs> that the lion. That would be a <laughs> heck of a lion. argument <laughs> yeah. to give us plausible knowledge. We just seem different. The lion do, would not have the type of soul that we have. That we have some sort of activities that right. would go beyond sensory powers and and activities. Right, and I don't want to just walk past that common sense impression because I think yes. it's reasonable. Like you, when you see cities. That's a different thing than seeing an anthill. When right. you see it, so th this should give us a clue. Something is going on sure. with the human, and it's perfectly reasonable to to discuss what is that right. thing. So how does, uh, well, Aquinas is your man, so how does Aquinas talk about yeah, that? Yeah, so we, when we analyze our activities as rational animals, we discover that we have a power to know things by virtue of our intellect in a way that is not entirely bound up with and dependent on matter, but is exercised in a way that transcends the boundaries of matter. Yeah. To be able to attain something, some knowledge, right. in a way that's not restricted to the conditions of matter. So let's take a triangle, for example. We could have a red triangle, a blue triangle, a yellow triangle, a black triangle. We know what? They're all triangles. They're all triangles, right. Regardless of what color they are, we can draw a triangle in the sand on the beach. Yeah. We could draw a triangle on a piece of paper with some ink. We could draw a triangle on the chalkboard. So sand, chalk, ink. No matter what the triangle is made out of, guess what? Still we a triangle. It's a triangle. Yeah. So, so far, we're able to know what a triangle is independent of the condition of its uh, material makeup. Yeah. or the color it is, right? right? We're also able to know what a triangle is independent of particular triangles. So I might draw a triangle there on that piece of paper. You draw a triangle on that piece of paper over there, and I can know still that both are triangles. My knowledge of what a triangle is is not restricted to that particular triangle right. or that particular triangle over there. Right. Another example would be just human beings, right? If we have Plato, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, we judge all three are human beings. Right. But my knowledge of what a human being is is not restricted and bounded by the particularity of that man, this man, or that man, Socrates, Plato, or Aristotle. It's my knowledge of what a human being is not restricted to the quantity of this man, that man, and that man, right. or the spatial relationship between the two. And speaking of spatial relationship, even if I consider what a man is, the concept of a human being, and what a triangle is, the concept of triangularity in my mind, it makes no sense to say, well, the concept of man is on the right of the concept no, of the triangle, right. right? Yeah, where is an idea? That's, That's right. right. And so even the question begins yeah. to give us a clue into how the way in which I am operating this activity of knowing what a man is of knowing what a triangle is is not restricted to the yeah. boundaries or the conditions of matter yes. right uh, so that gives me an insight into the fact that well if i have an activity that's not bounded and restricted to the conditions of matter i'm able to act in a way that's transcending matter Clearly, right? yes. It's, it's exercised apart. It's not entirely bound up with matter. It's being exercised apart from matter. And since action follows being, the mode of action follows the mode of being, I'm able to infer and can make the conclusion that the mode of being of the soul, the, its life, its way of existing, would not be entirely bound up with and dependent on matter, but would transcend matter.
Yeah. And thus, once the matter goes away, the soul would still have a life existing. Right. And here's a great analogy to help us uh, understand this by philosopher Michael Augros in his book, The Immortal You. I think Ignatius Press published it. This is a great example. Consider a workaholic. Right. A workaholic is only going to find life purpose. His life is restricted within his work. And he's going to have a hard time living the life of retirement outside the boundaries of work. Right. Because he's invested everything into his work. So once the work goes away, he doesn't really have a life anymore, right? Right. Now, we know, objectively speaking, he does. But subjectively, he's going to have a hard time with retirement. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to the individual who fosters a life outside of work. Right. Whenever he retires and work goes away, he's going to enjoy retirement. I think I might be the workaholic one. <laughs> I, 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 really I feel like I'm work. definitely the retirement guy. <laughs> I have a very... And yeah. so the soul and the life of the soul relative to the body is kind of like the life of the worker relative to his life, right? Yeah. So if a soul has a life that's only bound up with the conditions of matter, well, then once the matter goes, the soul is not going to have a life anymore. And that's just another way of saying that a soul that only has activities that are bound up with the matter. Once the matter goes, those activities can't exist, nor can the life of the soul exist. But if a soul has a life that's not bound up with the matter, then it would be able to exist without the matter. So does the human soul have that kind of life? The answer is yes, because we have activities that are not entirely bound up with and dependent on matter. Therefore, we have a way, our soul, human soul, has a way of existing, a mode of being that is not entirely bound up with matter, right? not entirely dependent upon matter, but transcends matter. And so once the matter goes, once the body separates and we have bodily death, the soul would be able to continue to exist. And this is how St. Thomas Aquinas uh, argues and thinks, many philosophers following him, think through this issue and arriving at the answer to the question, can the human soul survive bodily death? Right. And the answer being yes. It's interesting that uh, in modern philosophy, we, we the argument now is about consciousness and how can matter produce consciousness and all that. And it, in the you know 1200s, Aquinas is so far beyond that. Yeah, he's, he's looking at a particular operation a particular activity, what yeah. in philosophers call abstraction, right? So when I see you and Chris in the studio and Darren in the studio, I abstract from these particulars yeah. the universal idea, form, essence, nature of what a human being is. And that form, essence, concept of what a human being is, is known in a universal way independent of the particulars, outside of the boundaries of the conditions of matter, spatial relationship, quantity, color, etc. And that is the insight, that's the clue that the existence of the soul would be able to transcend matter, be beyond matter, survive without matter, because the activity is operating in a way that's not entirely bound up with the matter. Once again, action follows being. So in order to know the being, we look at the activity. Okay. And this activity of abstraction, intellectual knowledge, or yeah. conceptual knowledge, rational knowledge, these are all different ways of describing the same thing, 
is the clue to arriving at the conclusion that the existence or the mode of being of the soul is going to not be entirely bound up with matter, but be able to exist once the matter goes away. Okay, so the soul will survive our bodily death. Then the next question, as Michael Augros would kind of put it, it would be then, well, but how long will it yeah, right. <laughs> survive bodily death? Because maybe it could dissolve over time. Maybe, maybe it could break apart. Go out apart. of existence some way, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we have to ask the question, what are the ways in which something can go out of existence? Okay? Yes. And then we have to investigate and see if the human soul meets one of those criteria. Like, right. does the human soul fit the bill, so to speak, for one of those ways in which a thing can go out of existence? So one way yeah. in which something could go out of existence is when you have um, uh, something breaking apart, right? Whatever's composed of parts yeah. can eventually can break. break apart. Right. So can the human soul, which we already said can survive bodily death, can the human soul break apart? Well, the answer would be no, because the human soul is immaterial. And we know that because we have this activity of conceptual knowledge, which is transcending matter, having a life of an operation of its own, independent of the body. Uh, And so it's not confined to the boundaries of matter. And so it's beyond matter. It's immaterial. And if the human soul is immaterial, well, then it's not made up of parts. And if it's not made up of parts, well, then it can't break apart. Okay, so one so, th- one way of breaking uh, of going breaking, out of existence going out of existence is to break apart. That's right. And uh, like a the sandcastle when the wave comes. Okay, <laughs> my is kids it, are actually at the beach right now, okay. so they might be building a sandcastle when the waves come. The water right. comes, or like our bodies apart. will, you know, That's eventually right. by microorganisms and whatnot, break apart. The soul can't do that because, because it's, it's not material. Okay, right. another way that something could go out of existence when that one thing when yeah. one thing that's made up of form and matter yes right so the plant the animal even the human being soul body whenever you have a separation of the form and the matter the one substantial thing that was composed of the form and the matter goes out of existence so whenever the tree you know the tree is made of form and matter sure the matter is of course the stuff the material stuff and the form is you know the a uh, vegetative organism that has a trunk growing upward with uh, branches going lateral, right? Parallel to the ground, so to speak. Right. Uh, just sort of a general sketch of the form, perhaps, of the organizational pattern of the matter. Of the matter. Uh, so once the tree loses its form, the soul and the body separate, that tree as a single individual thing no longer exists. Now, given what we already said, that the only powers that the tree has is nutrition and growth, it's entirely bound up with matter. Once the matter is going, the soul is not going to exist anymore. So the soul of the tree is not going to be able to survive the bodily death. But notice it's the separation, right? We can, we can tell when you have a dead tree. It's whatever, we talked about this last time, whatever form those individual material parts are taking on might be hard to determine and discern. But nevertheless, it's no longer a unified living thing, right? Yeah. It's a dead tree. And right. so the form and the matter has separated. So we might call it a tree. Sure. But it's right. no longer a tree in the philosophical sense. Right. right. And so that's one way for something to go out of existence, when you have a separation of form and matter. So the question is, can the soul be separated from its form, the human soul, that is? Oh, 
right? Right. And, and Aquinas actually uh, uses this line of reasoning, and the answer is no, because the soul, the rational soul, doesn't have a form. It, it is. is the form, yeah. It is a form, right? Right. And so it can't be separated from itself. So the human soul could not go out of existence by way of being separated from its form because it is its own form. Right. Okay. So uh, that means I'm going to live forever. Or not, the, not quite. Come on, Carlo. Not, I was, I well, was safe. I thought I well, was safe. Actually, that's partially <laughs> true. Okay. By way of its own nature. Yes. I got gotcha. you. Okay. By way of its own left to right. itself. Given what the soul, the rational soul is, yeah, it would lift. The only other possible way for it to go out of existence is annihilation, but of course that would require something over and above what a rational soul is, in Wouldn't order that, for it to go out of existence. Annihilation by God that re, that would require divine power. That's God, what I was going to say. It would seem like even an angel couldn't annihilate a soul because the soul doesn't have any parts. So the the only only the ground of being itself could refuse to convey being to it there, that is correct what's no, what's what's keeping the departed soul yeah. in being right. or existence is god himself who's sustaining it in being right. because all being existence comes from the first cause god himself who is the source of all being so the only reason why the departed soul has the the act of existence itself, that in virtue of which it is something rather than nothing, right? Yes. Having existence is God. So the only way that the deported rational soul would be able to go out of existence, in no way would it go out of existence in virtue of its nature, right? It would only go out of existence in virtue of annihilation if God would cease to sustain the deported soul in being. And so the question becomes, well, would God do that? Well, Technically, he has the power to do that, like God. But it's not illogical. Correct. God yeah. theoretically could cease to sustain a departed soul in being. But would he do that? Philosophers, the majority of philosophers, following at least following St. Thomas Aquinas, and I think it's the true position, is the answer is no, because it would violate God's wisdom. God has created a, a rational soul to be such that it's immortal. And yes. so for God to annihilate it would be to act in a way that violates the very nature that he created the thing with. Right. So the bottom line is, why would God create an immortal soul only to, you know, to make it go out of existence? Right. That would be contrary to reason, would be contrary to wisdom. So I think it's a reasonable conclusion to say that given the fact that God creates a human soul— He's going to forever keep it in existence. Otherwise, he'd be acting contrary to his all-wise, all-reasonable nature, because he is pure reason itself. Yes, and I th and I imagine that that one might uh, be hard, uh, and pe people might uh, that might be hard for people, especially given the uh, the idea of there are, there's there are two states after death: eternal reward and eternal punishment. And but that's a different issue, and I don't want to get all into that. Correct. But it does seem to me that. Um, it, it, you know, when you think of the soul, the human soul as a gift bestowed, it, it is a self bestowed on that self. Like God gave me to me in a certain way, right? Well, like you it, would have to exist in order to give you to yourself. So yeah. 
I don't know if I'm going to follow you on okay, that Okay, that's trail, fine. But, I, but I'm just. But the gift, the God grants me the gift of existence. Right. The mode of which is me, Carlo. Right. Right. Yes. And so it would, it would, uh, okay. So all I was trying to get at it was, it would contradict his own wisdom and goodness um, to say, well, now I'm going to uh, deprive you of that. Right. It's kind of like this. Imagine this. Uh, you're in the heat of Southern Louisiana, right? Okay. And it's like, you know, heat index 105 right now. It's like humid, yeah. hot. You need some air conditioning, right? Yeah. So you build a house and you build the house with an AC. Right. And the purpose of the AC is to cool off the house. So you build the house with the AC, but when you move in, you never turn on the AC. And so you sweat to death. Right. right. Yeah. It would be kind of like that. Like, why? Why would you do something Why stupid build a house with an AC if you're never going to use the AC? Right? right. By way of analogy, it would be unreasonable for God to create a rational soul that by nature, by nature is it, immortal right. only to thwart that nature and make it cease to exist. Gotcha. Okay. So the two things that we come away with, just to kind of sum up, because I really do enjoy these conversations. I'm really grateful to you. Well, thank you for the opportunity yeah, to I'm really, chat with you about yeah, it. Yeah, because the soul, thats a, I just think it's a tough one. It and uh, I'm really in favor of having a soul and for it living forever. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of get some intellectual grounding for that. But uh, so the two things we come away with uh, today then are, uh, one, my soul. Human uh, soul. Yeah, the, the human soul. Uh, uh, by nature will survive bodily death. Correct. And that survival is permanent. It you're is permanent because you're, by you're nature, live forever. it is immortal. Yeah. So All that, right. and that's, and this is an important topic when we're talking about af the afterlife, yes. right? And we're talking about heaven and the bodily resurrection and all of that. Now there is an interesting question, you know, that comes up uh, concerning, because Without that philosophical analysis, mm -hmm. right, you could look to the Bible and say, yeah, we're going to live after death. But it doesn't quite answer the question, is the life after death a perpetual miracle of God giving us something over and above our, our nature? nature? Yes, right? right. Or is that life after death partially some natural life that belongs, that belongs to, to us after death. Right, and right. And so the philosophical analysis helps us answer that question yeah. to where we can say the soul will continue to exist after death in virtue of the nature it has as a rational soul. Right. Now, there are going to be certain aspects of its life in the afterlife of heaven that is given to us by God over and above what is natural to the rational soul sure. departed from the body, yeah, and like, even with the body and the, and the bodily resurrection. And so you, so with what this philosophical analysis provides us as a Christian, looking also to divine revelation, you have sort of a natural basis for understanding partially the life of the departed rational soul, right? but also a supernatural knowledge as well, a supernatural ground for understanding the life of the departed rational soul. So it's a beautiful example, it's case in point, of where faith and reason are wedded together. Right. And that's something to rejoice in because they're it not contradictory, indeed, but they're in harmony with one another. Yeah, right. Uh, thank you so much, Carlo. Really well, thank you, Sai. God bless, man. You too. 
You know, as I said at the beginning, you can't ask Carlo Broussard, philosopher, to sit down with you and talk about the immortality of the soul and not ask for a bit of, you know, philosophical conversation. But I found that uh, fascinating. And I actually think we got to have these conversations uh, from time to time and really try to dig in, uh, get the old noggin cranking away on that burn some wood up there and see if we can come to some understanding. Because there is a, a dimension to ourselves, a, a, an aspect to ourselves, for which there are all kinds of physical analogies that we can point to, but we can't see it, taste it, smell it, touch it, hear it. And so it's, it, it, uh, it's uncomfortable for us moderns who really, really only want to um, you know, talk about those sensory uh, things that are available to our senses. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, you're welcome to send us an email, focus at catholic.com, focus at catholic.com. Uh, also, if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or one of the other podcast things, give us that five-star review, a couple of nice words. That'll help to grow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, I think you know what to do now, but if you don't, just like and subscribe. That helps us to grow. You can give us money because it takes money to do this, and we'd appreciate your support. GiveCatholic.com is where you go givecatholic.com. Once again, I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Really grateful for Carlo to take the time to explain my soul to me in the last couple episodes. We'll see you next time, God willing, right here on Catholic Answers Focus. Mm -hmm.